This morning, as we turn back to the book of Daniel, we'll be in the first chapter. I told you we started last week in the second, but this morning we will be back in the first chapter and talking about a little more of this culture war. And when we talked about culture war last week, we talked about how God has positioned us and placed us to where He's wanting us to have our identity. And so we, the opposite of that is to become a practical atheist. That's really what the enemy wants for your life. He wants you to become a practical atheist. He wants you to be able to just simply, when things get difficult or hard, for you just to shut down or for you to decide, uh, I'm not going to risk this one. I'm just going to wait till it calms down. And when we study the book of Daniel, what sticks out throughout the book of Daniel is that their circumstances are enormously bad. I mean, it's, they are slaves. They have been, their whole civilization has been destroyed. Their city has been destroyed. They are just a small group that's been taken to Babylon and taken for one reason. The whole purpose is that we're going to retrain you. We're going we're to take the good that was left in Israel and we're just going to retrain you and teach you how to act and teach you how to read and teach you all of our culture. And whether you like it or not, that's what's going to happen to you. So what do you do in a culture war, which is what we're in in our, our society? And next week I'll be dealing more with some of the cultural things, uh, some of the things that the culture throws at us as far as that. But today I still want to deal with, as I said, we come back to chapter 1 because we're still establishing these first two chapters, the identity of who we're going to be in the middle of trouble. And we saw how Daniel last week when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, how Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill everyone, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And basically Daniel in his wisdom and his ability was able to say, look, give me time and he was able to bring God to the forefront, even in a bad culture, even in a culture that did not believe in God, did not know about their God. He was able to bring a, a different mindset. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar by the end said, Daniel, there's no God like your God. That's, a, that's an incredible thing to where you can get society to say, you know what, of all the things we have, there's nothing like your God. That doesn't mean they're going to serve God because Nebuchadnezzar did not fall on his face and become uh, a, a believer. But he did respect, and that became a respect that him and Daniel would have throughout the rest of his reign. But let's see how it all began, because today we want to deal with this main thought, which is name, image, and likeness. Look at the person beside you and say, what's your name, what's your image, and what's your likeness? This is so important in your life, and it's something you've got to be able to do. Turn with me in the first chapter of the book of Daniel, beginning at verse 3, and let's kind of catch up on the story of what's happening. So Nebuchadnezzar has brought multiple Jewish young men, noble kids, people that are, in fact, he makes it very clear, they better be good looking. That's what he says, they better not have no blemishes. In other words, they can't, can't be missing a limb or can't be, I mean, basically these are trophies. 
And he says, I'm bringing these trophies. Find ones that are of the nobles, those that are of, 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 of higher class as far as people that are learned people. And I want you to find me the brightest kids. I want you to find me the best kids. And, and here's what happens. The king ordered Aspenaz, to the, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking. You thought you, you laughed when I said that. Daniel was a good-looking guy. He had to be. He had been killed. Good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledge, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. In other words, this has got to be somebody that doesn't embarrass me when they walk in. If they were to walk into my court, somebody would say, Man, that's a sharp-looking dude. And this is, this is only the ones that he brought. He was to teach them the Chaldean language. Verse 5, and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from... Uh, the Judaites were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra. And the chief eunuch gave them names. He named Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Mishael, uh, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Don't ask me to do that again. <laughs> the chief eunuch gave them names. So verse 8 And Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. This is his first entrance into Babylon. He is under the king. I mean, his whole country has been destroyed. And here's one 15 to 18-year-old young man who looks at the head chief eunuch, the guy who has all power over him, and says, look, I'm asking, please, don't let me defile myself by eating and drinking stuff that, that is not permitted for me. And this is the beginning of Daniel's journey in the, in the city or the country of Babylon, in the nation, this largest nation, the mightiest king there ever has been. In fact, we studied last week that Nebuchadnezzar among kingdoms we talk about Alexander the Great. We talk about the Roman Empire. Do you understand that when he saw the vision, the golden head was Nebuchadnezzar. Everything below Nebuchadnezzar was weaker. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the greatest king there will ever be. The greatest kingdom there will ever be was Nebuchadnezzar's. It was, it was an incredible kingdom. And here is Daniel standing up in the middle of this court and saying, you know what? I want to create and I want to defend my identity. I want to maintain who I am. I want to maintain the person that I'm supposed to be. I want you to understand this morning that this is the battle that every one of us has to go into. From the beginning, this has always been the battle. Go with me in your Bibles to Genesis 1 and 26. Genesis 1 and 26. We're going to get there. Genesis 1 and 26 says this. 
Then God said, let us make man kind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is your identity. From the moment you were created, humans were designed to be having dominion, to to reign over. That's what's so sad about today, is that, think about it now, pharmaceuticals comes from where? Plants. Pharmaceuticals come from, from different enzymes, different things that's been created. Notice that from the beginning, you were supposed to have dominion over Over everything, over every created thing there is. And when we think about that, we just think, well, the fish, the birds, no, no, everything, the grass of the field, everything that there is, you were to have dominion over it and to be over it. And from the beginning, Adam and Eve, this is the life that they lived. They lived in dominion over every single thing. That was their gift. Do you understand that when we return one day and there's a new heaven, a new earth and all of this, the greatest power, the greatest joy will be and in that new heaven and new earth that we will once again be restored to having dominion over every single thing. We always think about, oh, I wonder what heaven's going to be. We're going to walk on streets of gold. We're going, none of that matters to me. You know what, one of these days when we're in heaven, we get to see, none, none of that should matter. What should matter is think about your daily life, all the things that want to have control over you, all the things that want to have dominion over you, all the thoughts that you have to fight out, all the different things that you have to beat back, all the problems that want to take over your life and, and have dominion over your life. Do you understand that the joy of heaven is that one day we will be totally set free from everything that at one time or another had tried to fight over us, even the enemy himself will be destroyed and there will be from that moment on absolutely in that kingdom no dominion that rivals or no dominion that compares. Think about that. Your thoughts, your life. Well, that's what Adam and Eve had. So much so that notice now, they just walked around naked all the time. There was no, there was no, there was no problem, no thoughts. No, I mean, they didn't realize what they had. I know we pick on them and say, oh, they're horrible. They didn't know. They had no idea how good they had it until Satan came. The first thing that God gave mankind was identity. Your identity is everything. Who you believe you are, who you think you are, who you speak to yourself that you are, who you say in the mirror in the morning that you are, that is everything. So Satan, go with me to chapter 3 and verse 5, guess what he attacks? It's identity. Genesis 3, verse 5 says this. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he was, was he lying? Hmm. He was not lying. If somebody says, hey, you need to drink this, it'll change your life. Are they lying? Hey, you need to smoke this. Will it change your life? Sure. 
And it's going to have some good, but it's also going to be attached to the evil. And that's the part he doesn't explain. And humanity, what humanity is trying to do so desperately every day, you need to understand this, what humanity is its in the race to do. Humanity is trying through the way it lives, the way it acts, the way it raises kids, the way it, it is trying to figure out how I can get all the good without having any of the evil that come along with it. That, that is simply what humanity is trying to do every day. I don't look at humanity and think, y'all are just a bunch of bad people. No. No, they are trying desperately to come up with some way, some plan, some, something, something put in your body, some way they can change your body, some way they can, they can rearrange your clothes, some way they can kill your identity by gender or whatever they can do, whatever they can strip away to take away not the good, because what they want is just talk about the good. But what they don't want to talk about is the evil that comes with it. And that's what Satan does. He says, oh man, you are fixing to, I mean, your eyes are going to be open. Yes, they are. And you're going to know good, but you're also going to know the evil of it. And we know that in that they lost their identity. From the moment that they ate the fruits, the moment Adam ate the fruit, he saw himself the way he was. He covers himself. God comes and says, who told you you were naked? God realizes and he knew. You ate the fruit, didn't you? And God has to drive them out of the garden so that they don't become eternally stuck that way. And God puts angels around the the tree of life so that they don't eat from that because, because then they would be stuck with no redemption like angels or whatever. So he says, no, 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 you get out of here. And I'm going to have a plan to reestablish your identity. That's what the goal is all about, your identity. That's what the battle is all about. In Luke 4, that's exactly when Jesus comes on the scene and, and Satan meets him after 40 days of fasting. That's what he attacks. The first question he asks Jesus is, if you are the Son of God... It's your identity that I want. He tells him, if you will bow down to me, I'll give you all of this stuff. Hey, there's a good side. You're going to become the king of the world if you will bow down to me. There's a bad side. You also belong to me. And this becomes, in life, this becomes the battle that every single person has to face. So let me just explain it this way. What are the five Top points this morning that every single person in this room, one or the other, is top that you are dealing with as an individual right now. Number one can be anxiety. Maybe you're in this room and you say, man, I'm I'm telling you, I'm always dealing with anxiety. I'm always stressed out. I'm always, I'm I'm on all kind of medication. I'm all doing this. I have to take stuff to sleep at night. I have to, anxiety is the number one or part of the top five that attack us every single day to rob us of identity. The second one is called depression. Depression. Depression is simply wanting something you can't have. That's all depression is. People have been dealing with depression since Adam and Eve. 
But now we, uh, well, we're going to cure depression. Remember now, what is the world's cultural mindset? We're going to try to keep the good of something and get rid of the... So since we can't get rid of depression, if you go to a psychiatrist and say, how do I get rid of feeling bad about this? Just do something worse. If you do something worse, then what you used to do doesn't seem bad anymore. Does that sound like a good answer? But it is. That's the answer the world has. Number three is stress. Just the everyday life, feeling like I don't measure up, I'm not enough, I don't, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that. And the enemy uses stress on your life, anxiety on your life, depression on your life. He also uses finances on your life. Because what is the first thing we turn to to try to cure our problems? If I just had some more money, in fact, the Bible makes it clear, money solves all problems, right? Well, the writer is talking about everyday problems. But we, we just sell into it all. We think that if we have the money, then it will solve the emotional problems, the depression problems, anxiety problems. It'll solve all the problems. But that, again, is partly true, but it also is partly a lie. So we, we end up working 40 years of our life, ignoring our kids, ignoring our wives, ignoring our husbands. And if we could just ever get the boat and we could ever just get the house, if we could ever just get a certain bank account, if we could ever just live at a certain level, if we could just get to where we can play golf once or twice a week and not have to worry about life, if we could just reach a status, then all the problems will go away. So we max out credit cards. And then we go get more credit cards because that one's maxed out. So we start... You know, when you watch financial news now on the, on the TV shows, all the guys are predicting a total collapse. You know why? Because most of you in this room are underwater with your credit. Now, you don't want to tell nobody that. You got two or three credit cards maxed out, or you got a house payment you can't hardly pay for. You're one lost job away from basically not being able to pay your bills or not being able to your car is going to get repoed. But you got it all. You got the car, the house, you got it all. As long as nothing goes wrong. And I got I to gotta have finances. I got I to gotta, I gotta work. I got to make money. I got to... Why? Because I done got all this stuff. And now I'm in bondage to it. Can't enjoy life. I have to work. Not because I enjoy it, because I have to. I got that truck. I got to pay for that truck. I know this is probably none of y'all. I'm just preaching. You can give this tape to somebody else later. And the fifth one that comes into your life is disappointment. Isn't it amazing how when we're already anxious, when we're already depressed, when we're already fighting off all these other things, all it takes is just like one flat tire. Isn't it amazing how it doesn't take a lot of stuff? Because when we're teetering so close to the edge, it just takes one bad day, one, one thing to go wrong. And all of a sudden, you just blow up. 
Just like, that's it. I, I, I can't take any more of this. And this is where the enemy fights you every single day, but he does it to gain power over identity. I mean, you say, brother, I mean, that's tough. I mean, it's a tough life to live in. Well, think of Daniel. Think of the anxiety that 15 to 18-year-old kid is living with. Think of the anxiety he has. Every day being trained a whole new language. You can't even speak your language anymore. Think of the depression he has. He just saw his own city, his own country totally wiped out. Think of the stress of trying to live for God in a place where they don't even know God. Think of financial. I mean, it's like, look, if you want to be successful here, you got to, you got to, you got to do what the king says. You want to be successful here, you got to be a yes sir, no sir. You don't want to end up down there washing dishes in the kitchen. Now, you, don't, you, you want to... Think of the disappointment that he feels toward himself and his country, toward God. Man, we royally messed this up. We had it made. A few generations ago, Solomon is sitting on the, on the throne. And a generation or so later, here we are. Nothing. Think of that life. And every one of us can look at our life and say, that's the fight. What are the top five dangers then in our society? Number one, addiction. So what does it lead to in our, in our social life? Addiction. Number two is identity theft. These are the top crimes that take place. These are the top things in our society that take place all the time. Notice what they're always trying to do. Loss of privacy. The news comes on today, they'll say, oh, there was 200,000 Social Security numbers that were stolen. Why? Because knowing your identity... And having your identity is the most powerful thing in our day and age. So from addictions to identity theft to loss of privacy to compromise and bullying, trying to give people their own different name, trying to categorize them, and false information that's constantly thrown at us. This is what society throws at us every single day in this culture war. Every single day when you turn on the news, that's what you're going to hear about. And most of the problems that we hear about are going to be wrapped up in this. Some type of addiction, some type of identity theft, some type of loss of privacy, some type of, of comparison and bullying, some type of false information. And it's constantly thrown at us every single day to try to give us an identity that's not the one that God gave us. Go with me in your Bible to Matthew 3 and 17. This was the one thing that Jesus fought for more than anything else in his life. During his entire ministry, this was what he fought for. This is what it says. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus' greatest strength 
was his constantly drawing near to the Father, constantly doing what the Father said, and the Father constantly reminding him who he was. It was not pulling away from God and trying to find out who I am. It was constantly drawing nearer to God. And as I draw nearer to God, then my identity is made clear. Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 17 and 5. Later, at the end of Jesus' ministry, it's still the same. Listen to what happens. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them and a voice uh, from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased Listen to him. What if you woke up in the morning and the first thing that hit you every morning was, man, I am a child of God. What if the first thing that hit you every morning was, man, it's good to be saved. What if the first thing that hit you every single morning was, man, one of these days I'm going to heaven. Is that what hits you every time before you go into school, before you go to work, before you roll over, before you get up, before you... It's supposed to be because this is the most important thing in your life. That's why Jesus got up early in the morning and he went away and spent time in private with the Father. Why? Because keeping his identity, keeping that was the most important thing that you have. The world is not worried about whether you shoot somebody, whether you believe in transgender, whether you do this. They just want your identity. And once they get your identity, then they can program you however they want to. This is what Daniel teaches us. Once they put you in the program, Then it's like, we will determine what you think. We will determine how you talk. We will determine the way you do things. And eventually, we take on an orphan's mindset. Most of us in this room this morning, and people that will be listening to me online, I hate to say it, but most of us live our daily lives as orphans not as children. Let me explain it this way. You say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I know you do. That's why a lot of us are practical atheists. We believe in Jesus, but we get our identity from the world. We wear, we wear the clothes they say look good, even if half our body's hanging out of it. I, I, I deal with it all the time. Makes me sick at my stomach. I'm like, Really? You want to be a walking billboard. It's the society we live in. We're orphans. We claim the name, but that's all. Let me explain what an orphan looks like. An orphan always focuses on their faults or the faults of others. An orphan is always cynical, critical. Because they've been hurt. So they're either always thinking about my faults. Well, I know I mess up. I know I'm not good. Or they're always wrestling with what somebody else's faults are. An orphan, you experience rejection and it leads to rebellion. As an orphan, you lose basic trust. As an orphan, you fear submission. You fear submission because what if it don't go right? Who's going to fix it? Who's going to take care of me? If I submit to this situation, that's why marriages are in such trouble. 
Submission is the whole basis of marriage. Now, before you go crazy on me, like look over and say, yeah, baby, you're supposed to submit. Understand, the husband was supposed to submit to Christ. So don't go looking at your wife. If you ain't going to do everything Jesus said, then don't go ask her to do everything you said. Submission doesn't begin with her. Submission begins with you. But see, orphans don't like submission. They say things like, well, I will when you start doing it. That's an orphan. You take an independent, self-reliant attitude. I'll, I'll take care of me. You take a controlling spirit. You don't like to let go of control. Relationships become just superficial because you're not going to open up and you're not going to be open with anybody. You just want to see what you can get from the situation. Now you kind of know I formed a stronghold. And so we walk around with these strongholds. It's like, well, that's just the way God made me. That's just the way I am, Brother Lot. You know, I just, I just can't help myself. Those are called strongholds. They're places where you live to protect yourself from your own identity. Next, you begin to live with an orphan heart and spirit. Now it starts to affect everything that you do. It's just what I can get. And it's what I can have. It doesn't matter if it hurts others. Now you're attracted and are attracted to counterfeit affections. Now it's like a game. It really, the caring you have for people really isn't deep. It can end in a second. I, I, I can't understand that. I, I don't come from that mindset. I, I don't understand how you can stand in front of an altar one day and tell one person that I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. And then shut it off one day. I don't like you no more. I don't like the kids no more. You can have them too. I'm going to start me a new life. See, I don't understand that. But I guess if you've got those strongholds and you've got that life, I guess you can do that because you're, all of your affection is really counterfeit anyway. It ain't genuine. It ain't worth dying for. You're not submitting to anything. It's whatever I feel at the moment. But I go to church. I give some in the offering. You can still be an atheist. Do you understand that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Israelites that were taken into custody? They were not the only ones that were told to eat certain foods, and they were not the ones told to drink certain wine. but they were the only ones that were not counterfeit. The rest of them had the identity, had the nobility, had the background, had the name, had everything. But in reality, they were atheists to the very God that they claimed to believe in. But a son, I'm not trying to be hard, I'm just trying to tell you our culture. And I really don't care about the culture outside these four walls because I don't deal with that. I, I expect them to be that way. But when, as we said a few minutes ago, when the divorce rate is the same inside the church as it is outside the church, there's a culture problem. Can we just be honest? 
There's a culture problem. When our kids are just as messed up as the kids that don't go to church, sometimes more messed up, where's a culture problem? You got issues. When you're eating, drinking, watching the same Netflix junk everybody else is, you got a culture problem. If we'll pay to have it brought into the house, there's a culture problem. Pay my $19.99 so I can bring this garbage in. There's a culture problem. But a lot of you, you've been awful mean. I know it. Don't worry, you'll be able to go outside in a few minutes, turn on your radio to whatever you want. Flip on your phone, watch whatever you want. Listen to whatever, do whatever. And you can come back to church next Sunday. And you can wonder why your life won't change. Not trying to be ugly, I'm telling you there's a war. And I'm just asking you which side you're on. Which side of that war are you on? We don't have to walk around in monk suits and shave our heads and all be... But there's a line. There's a drawing line. Daniel had a drawing line. Look, I cannot cross this line. Are there any lines in your life or is everything just, well, you know, I don't want to do it, but I guess we need... Are there any lines in your life? Here's what a son looks like. When you're a son, you're secure. You feel your significance. You have identity. You have patience, trust, loyalty, faithfulness. You're generous because you know who's going to take care of you. You're humble. You're under and respect authority. You have a vision for your future. You know what you want to accomplish. You know where you want to be. You don't really strive for positions that really don't mean anything to you. You feel and accept love. Never is jealous of others' success. Whatever God does for others, that's God's business. And loves people. Let me give you three things real quick when we talk about these three words. Number one, we need a name. Look at the person beside you and say, you need a name. Now, what society wants you to do is this, your last name. I'm a lot. I'm, I'm, pick a name. You can do a test online, send some blood in. They can find out how much Indian you got in you and how much Japanese you got in you and how much American and how much Irish and how much whatever else you got in you. You can, you can buy clothes and do billboard to try to make yourself, this is my identity. It's my culture. I, I remember years ago when a group had asked me to, to teach cross-cultural ministries to, to their students. And uh, it didn't go very well. Because they were wanting to talk about cross-cultural churches and, and multicultural churches. And I hear that phrase all the time. And I'm like, are y'all lunatics? Because I got in there with a class or, or was on the line with a class and I said, let me just go ahead and make this clear to y'all. There is no such thing. I said, in the world there is. You can have a worldly church and you can have black culture, Japanese culture, you can have a, a Hispanic church, you can have this. I said, but let me just make this very clear. 
when you are a true Christian, you come out of every other culture and you become a Christian. I don't, I don't believe in black ministries. I don't, I don't believe in Asian men. I don't believe in, in Hispanic ministry. I believe we're all supposed to. Now, there may be having to be services different because some people is not going to understand my language and we may have to change some service things, but we're all still part of the same family. We're all part of the only culture that we have is the one that imitates Jesus Christ. That's the only culture that we have. There is no other culture. Uh, some of y'all already. Uh, I'd have messed y'all up already. But you go down that road and you watch how divisive it becomes, how insignificant you'll think of other people. I know it sounds crazy, but people from other cultures, other backgrounds, worldly cultures will drive by our church because we're not of the same thing. We're not the same uh, name. We're not the same. And they'll say, oh, they're not. Why? Because that's just taught by the world. It's called identity theft. Listen, you need a name to affirm you. Go with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 56 and 5. Isaiah 56 and 5. Here's what he says. I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name Better than sons and daughters. I will give of them an everlasting name that will never be. So when I look at you and I say, listen to me, I only have one culture. It's Jesus. Jesus is the culture. God promised in Isaiah that there is coming a time I will establish a name and I will put a name in my house and in my house that name will reign above every other name and that name will be the culture of the house. Now, go with me in your Bibles to Philippians, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Let's see what it says in the New Testament. Has that taken place? Well, here's what it says. For this reason, God highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and gave him a name that is above, that means it's above church name, it's above denomination name, it's above cultural name, it's above your, your any type of name you come in, any type of background you have. At that name, all of a sudden, everything else is secondary. That name rises above every name. And if you can't get that, you're going to be totally messed up in church. Because church was built on one thing, his name. I can mess people up so quick. They'll come to me and say, where do you go to church? I go to all seasons. What is that? What are y'all? I said, we believe in Jesus. Well, I know that, but what are you? I'm like, that's what we are. We them folks that believe in Jesus. And you just watch them walk away half mad, half confused. Because when they can't culturally change you, then it confuses them. But for this reason, God highly exalted and gave him a name above every name. So that the name of Jesus, that's why every knee should And in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and every tongue will confess. What are they going to confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That is your culture. You need a name. To the glory of God the Father. That's why Jesus told His disciples, He said, Go in my name, and in my name cast out demons. In my name heal the sick. In my name... Because it can't be, well, I'm Tim Lott. That don't mean nothing. But if I look at you and I say, listen, I can't do anything. Remember Daniel last week? Daniel set that precedence when he said, King, nobody can tell you your dreams. Nobody, But there is a God in heaven. We do the same thing on earth. Look, I can't heal you. I, I can't save your marriage. I can't deliver you. But listen to me. There is a name. There is a name. Then at that name, miracles, healings, breakthroughs, breakouts take place. I believe at that name, there is no limitation because cancer is not as big as that name. Brokenness is not as big as that name. Hurt is not as big as that name. That name rises above everything that's above the earth, everything that's on the earth, and everything that thinks it lives under the earth. It has to bow to that name. So when you look at me and you say, what is your name? My name on earth is Tim Lott, but my name in heaven is I am a son of God. And that is the most important name that I have. Because notice what they did in Babylon. The very first thing they did was they changed Daniel's name. They gave him a new name. Because the first way culture wants to change you is it has to give you a name. What are you? Well, I'm this color. Or I'm of this background. Or I'm southern. Or I'm... What's your name? See, culture wants to give you a name. And from that name, it automatically limits you. It limits you from the moment you take that name. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the Old Testament, the prophet says, the I am has said. In the New Testament, since we live under grace, we say in the name of Jesus Christ. Why do you think the world says that when you pray, don't use that name? If you go to Congress and want to pray, they say, well, you can use God, but don't use that name. Why? Because that name is the name that has power. Listen to me. If you can attach your little bit of nothing name to that name, you become a somebody. Everything you are on this earth is going to give either six feet under or be given away when you die. But that name attached to you transforms you not only in this world, but the world to come. That becomes a ticket, not only for what's going on here, when God's going to bless you here, but when He's going to one day resurrect those that are dead and us that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air. To meet who? To meet Jesus in the air. And to forever be with the Lord. That's our, that's our desire. 
First, you have to have a name. Number two, you need an image. Go to Psalms 139, verses 13 and 14. You need an image. This is the second part of our culture right now that's struggling so bad. Because since they don't have a name, they don't have nowhere to go to find their image. Since they don't have a name to identify them, they don't have an image. So it's sad to see the world not knowing if somebody's a boy or a girl. It's sad to watch somebody that don't know if they need to dress like a man or a woman. It's sad to watch the world in all its debauchery. I'm not, I'm not angry. It breaks my heart. Because I'm like, you're desperately searching, but the problem is you're searching up the wrong tree. Here's what it says. For it was you who created my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously. Does that sound like our society? Do we look and we, we, we say, you know who formed me in my womb? The one who knows me, God. You know who knitted me together? You know who gave me my Y or my X chromosome? You know who did all that? It was God. And you know what I'm going to do when the moment that child comes forth? You know what I'm going to do when that baby comes out? I'm going to praise God because you have remarkably and wondrously made a boy or a girl. Your works are wondrous. And I know this very... Do you know your image? See... If you don't know your identity, then you don't know if there's a black Santa Claus, a white Santa Claus. You don't know what there is. Because that's, that becomes your... Does that make sense? You're confused from the get-go. The moment you don't know your name, then it's impossible for you to know your image. This is the culture war that you live in every day. This is the fight you're going to see on Fox News and CNN. This is, this is what's going to take place every single day. If you don't know your name, then if the name you don't know, then you can't know who's speaking into your life. You can't know who gives you your image and who gives your identity. Daniel knew the name. He said, listen, I believe in God. This is who I belong to. That's the name that I, I don't believe in. Even though you changed my name to Baal Shazar, which means Baal will protect you, I don't believe in Baal. I don't have a Baal mentality. I belong to God. And since I belong to God, I have an image. An image is not drinking this or eating this or doing this. I have an image that is automatically built in me. And I'm not giving away my image because I know my name. Oh, I wish you could get this. We need to be 
image affirming. So Daniel says, I cannot do this. I cannot eat this. Please give me an opportunity. Number three, it needs to be likeness affirming. Name, image, likeness. Go with me to Galatians, and I'll show it to you. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen now. Those who have that name have done what? Read it with me. Have crucified and its passions and what is that? Image. Since I have taken on the understanding that I belong to Christ, that is the name that I'm attached to, therefore the things the world brings to me, I have crucified in my flesh, and the passions and desires that the world says, if you pursue this and you get this, you'll be happy. I've said, no, I'm not buying that lie. I'm not going that route. My identity is in Christ, and since I'm in Christ, my image then is going to be like Christ. Let me read it to you from, from a different uh, translation. Here's what it says from the TPT translation. But the fruit produced by the Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action and generosity, a life of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. If the Spirit is the source of your life, we must also allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. What does this mean, Pastor? If I get my name right, if I get my image right, then what happens is, then my likeness becomes right. What, is, what does God want for you more than anything else? He said, I've come that you might have life and have it. Jesus says, if you give and you serve me in this life, in this life you will have more than you've ever, ever had and in life to come, eternal life. So, he wants you, look at the person beside you and say, He wants you blessed. He wants you blessed. But here's the problem. He cannot do it unless you take His name. He cannot do it unless you walk in His image. Because you can't be in His likeness if you can't handle the first two. Let me show it to you in the story. Daniel goes to the chief of the eunuchs. He says, look, 
I'm, I'm from Israel. And look, I, I, I appreciate all this, but I can't eat this. I can't drink this. It's against what my God has given me an identity. I can't do this. And the eunuch says, Daniel, if, if, if we don't do this and you look worse than the other ones and the king finds out I've been letting you eat other things, he's going to kill me. And Daniel, who trusts in who he is, says to the chief of the eunuchs, he says, let me ten days, let me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let us eat vegetables and drink the juices and, 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 and the water and let us do what we're supposed to do. And you look at us and them and you find out in ten days which one you think looks best. In ten days, because now he's put God to the test. Now he's said, okay, God, I'm claiming your name. I'm walking in your image. God says, then the result of that is my likeness. In ten days, the eunuch came and he saw them, and the Bible says that they looked ten times better than everyone else that was eating the king's food. They tested them, and they were ten times smarter. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, at the end of this story, of all the people that was in this program, of all the people, they, the four of them were the brightest, and they four were entered into the king's service after three years. It got to be so bad that the eunuch took away the wine, the food that the king had gave, and he made everybody start eating vegetables. How do I change my culture, Brother Lot? First, you have to know the name that you live by. If you're going to change your family, your culture, first you have to know the name. What name are you identified by? What is the name society gives you? Secondly, you have to decide the image that you're going to portray. What are the things God says don't do that? We don't watch that. We don't talk like that. What are the things that God has said, take on my image? Walk in my image. Why? Because you were made in the image of God. That's what he says in Genesis. Let us go down and make man in our image. Now God doesn't look like us. With God's a spirit. But what he says is, I want them to walk in spirit the way I walk in spirit. I speak things that are not as though they are. I see things from the future before we ever get there. God said, that's the way I want you to. You look at your kids and you want to say, I'm speaking over you before you ever even get to 20. Why? Because I'm in the image of God. And he says, what happens is, is over time, when you do that, you will walk in my likeness. And if you're in my likeness, then you're going to prosper wherever you are. I tell people that all the time. I said, look, if you took me and if God says, Tim, here's where I want you to go, it wouldn't have mattered which church in Mississippi, wouldn't have mattered which church anywhere, it would have grown. 
it would have grown. Why? Because if I take on His name and walk in His image, then eventually I have to take on His likeness. That means I have to prosper. That's why God took Jesus. And just to show you the point, Jesus was born by an unwed mother in a cattle stall, a nobody that grew up in Nazareth. Even the people around him said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's, that was the culture. And Jesus said, I bottomed that boy out as much as I could. And let me tell you something. You still couldn't keep him down. Why? Because if you take on my name and you walk in my image, then you will eventually reflect my likeness. That is your identity. That is the war that the world fights you with every single day. Who will you look like when you get to the end? When you tell your story like Daniel, who will you look like? Who will you resemble? Will you stand? Whoever you are in this room, with every head bowed, every eye closed. And you came in today and you, you've wondered, why, why do I stay so stressed? Why do I not enjoy? Why do I feel anxious? Or why does it feel like the pressure's always on me? Why is it, Brother Lot, that so many addictions and stuff I hear about, stuff I... It's because you're in a war. But it's breaking down to, you are in a war. There is a God in heaven that before you were born, formed you in your mother's womb. There is a God in heaven that knew you better than you knew yourself, knew your talents because He gave them to you. He knew that in that forming and in life and everything, there would be some weaknesses, there would be, but that did not bother God because God knew that greater that would be in you, greater would be in you than anything that would ever come against you. God has been trying desperately to get you to finally claim His name. Let His name be the name, the culture that you say is mine. There is neither Greek, nor Jew, nor male, nor female. The Apostle Paul said, all of that is gone. Yes, we still have things that we have to do to reach people. 
But in God's sight, there is absolutely no difference. No difference. God says, that's so that every single one of you in this room today, you say, I'm not Pastor Lot. You stand on the same level ground Pastor Lot does. You stand on the same level ground. As one guy said it many years ago, the ground is level at the cross. Doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what you did yesterday. God says, what I'm desperately trying to do is I'm trying to give you my name. And what I want you to do is take on my image. Through the Spirit, let Him guide you. Let Him lead you. Learn to love and learn to live in peace and learn to live in joy. So that one day someone walks up and through you they see my likeness. That they see Christ in you. That's the greatest compliment you'll ever get. Of all the compliments I ever get and have ever got in my life, the greatest one is this. Tim, if I ever met a Christian, I believe you're one of them. It's the greatest compliment I ever got in my life. Whenever I get that compliment, it's the greatest one. Somebody would say, boy, you can preach. That doesn't mean a whole lot. Man, I like to hear you sing. That's great. That doesn't mean... But for somebody to walk up and say, man, if I ever met a Christian, I believe you're one of them. To hear someone say, I'm going to tell you what, Pastor Lot don't make it to heaven. Ain't none of us making it to heaven. Because they watch my life. That's the greatest compliment. Why? Because they're not seeing Tim Lot. That old rascal died a long time ago. Tim Lot died a long time ago. What they're seeing is what the Spirit has done through years of bringing Christ so others can see Him. It's been the greatest joy and journey. So whoever you are in this room right now, listen to me. Let me tell you what the enemy's after. He's, he's not after your money. He's not after your, your time. He's not after, he's after your identity. And if you sell your identity to him, he'll get the rest. He'll get the money. He'll get your life. If he's got your identity, that's just who you're going to be. If you're here today and you're like, Pastor, I do not want to lose my identity to this world. I do not want to lose my identity to this world. I'm known by who I'm dating. I'm known by who I, I, where I work. I'm known by what I drive. I'm known by where I live. I'm known by... I ain't not selling who I am. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. I'm okay. If you're in this room right now, you say, Pastor, I need prayer. I need prayer. My name... My image is not where it needs to be. My name and my image is not wrapped. When people meet me, they don't think of Jesus. They think of all the junk that I do, or they think of all the stuff that I'm doing. They think of the life that I have, the, the messed up life that I'm living. And God sent you by today to tell you, I'm desperately trying to give you a name. 
an image, an identity, and a destiny. If you're in this room, you say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to step out. Meet me down here. I want you to, before you leave today, I do not want you to still fight and struggle with identity. Father, I have spoken everything I can. I hope this next week when they watch the news, they see the fight for their identity. I hope when they listen to their radios, they feel the fight for their identity. That the world is trying to give them a name. It's trying to give them a name based on their background, their culture, whatever it is that they have. God, this morning, let them finally decide, I'll be His. Like Daniel of old, I will take His name, I will live in His image, and I will reflect His likeness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Hey, don't give that old devil fits. <laughs>